0: Welcome to the Mastering Retention Podcast, where we talk to top mobile game experts about their experiences running successful games. This podcast is presented by UserWise, the live ops engine for mobile games. This week, Tom speaks with Lior Hadashian, CTO and co-founder at Gaver Games. They'll be talking about the importance of being a data-driven game studio, when to double down on a good idea, and what needs to be considered when selecting your co-founder. We hope you enjoy.
1: Hi everyone. Uh welcome to today's episode of the master and Retention Podcast. Uh today we actually have a co-founder with us, which is super exciting, uh, Mr. Lior Hadashian. Um, which uh hopefully I got your name right, but uh <laughs> <That's cool. Yeah. laughs> awesome. Um cool. Well, you know, I've been following you guys at uh Gavra Games for a while now, um, and you've been doing some some super exciting stuff. Um, so I'm, I'm really honored to have you on the podcast today, and I don't really get to talk to too many founders, so it's going to be super exciting. Um, before we dive in, though, I always like to ask, you know, what's your story? Like, how'd you get into games?
0: Well, okay. Uh, first of all, uh, thank you for having me here. It's a great honor to be on the podcast, and um, every chance I, have, I, get, I get to, like, share my experience and let other game developers uh, get more driven into doing what they want, so... For my side, it's a blessing. Um, how did I get into games? Well, uh, it's actually, it's we got into games because, like you said, I'm a co-founder. Uh, we will get into that. Um, but basically, ever since I remember myself, like, growing growing up, I was playing video games since the Nintendo Entertainment System, the NES, and the Super NES. Uh, I always played of 1, Commander Conquer 1, like, everything, every day. I came back from school eating something for lunch and straight to the computer, uh, my parents used to, uh, like, um, have a fight with me, like, get off the computer or uh, go study. Well, what will come out of this? Like, uh, today I can say to them, I'm, uh, I'm living uh, with video games. <laughs> it's making my living. But, uh, yeah, basically, like, I always grew up into this. This is what was my passion. And uh, and me and my cousins, in uh, pr- plural, we were playing a lot of PlayStation when when we were meeting and uh, especially yeah. with, uh, with one cousin, Shai Shemtov, which is my uh, co-founder. Um, we were playing a lot of games when we grew up. Um, I think, like, until I was 21, we were still playing video games while all the other cousins uh, continued on with their lives. <laughs> and we always, like, joked or not joked, like, hey, let's yeah, make games someday. And we were like, yeah, do sure. And, and when I uh, got uh, discharged from the army... It's not a desirable, right? I, I'm not sure how to say it in English. Like, I ended my uh, my service.
1: Yeah, well, I, I think everyone does service in Israel, right?
0: Yeah, it's a mandatory to do mm-hmm. three years. I was in the medical corps, by the way. I um, I was a programmer, not, not a medic. <laughs> but uh, I also did another one uh, one year in half uh, Like in uh, you, you do the first year for almost three. and after that you can work for the army. So I kept on working there. Um, and right then, when I ended my service, like my cousin Shai came to me, like let's make games, and I told him, okay, let's do it. <laughs> that was pretty much it. Like uh, my parents really wanted me to go and find another job in the tech, but um, I saw the Israeli um, state of gaming in, in, in at, the, at the time. Yeah. Uh I my I don't know how to say it in English. My, my eyes got darkened. Like these are the games we will make here. Like. There was no passion. Everything was like uh, mm. data driven, super so casual, super casual. No real games behind it. And like I want, uh, I just told my parents like I can't work in such places. I want, I want to work on actual games. And so this is why we uh, founded Cover Games. Basically, this is how we started we had no experience in game development We had, each of us had experience in programming and my shy had experience in art and making 3d models and animation, but we didn't come from the industry. Um, so like we learned and we did on uh, on the fly. Uh, we had no money. <laughs> we did it like a bootstrap. I was, was um, going to ask
1: you about that. Yeah. How did that, that work?
0: We didn't, we didn't have money. We got, we had a little savings, like, uh, not enough. Not enough to uh, have offices or hire someone, and I was like uh, making. A, I was a perfect tutor for Unity Engine. This is I. Uh, I was able to pay rent, uh, but we lived especially on um, passion because we loved what we were doing and we believed in it. Um, so basically, like bootstrap, no money, and we just uh, developed with passion. No, no, even no business plan. Like let's make a game; it will sell. Um, of course, over the year we learned we learned a lot. Like uh, after a year, we advanced like barely twenty percent, like where the game was supposed to be. And uh, we understand, we understood, like okay, this isn't going nowhere. We need to find uh, a solution. And out of the box, like uh, and also tell me if I'm going uh, off script here. <laughs> and uh, oh, no, no,
1: this this is great. Yeah. I was I was going to ask you a question like this anyway, so please continue. Okay.
0: Yeah, so, like, after a year, we had no, uh, not enough money, the game did progress, like, out of the blue, and um, someone I w- walked with, like, for two days in my life, I gave him some advices like, cons- consultancy, told me, hey, uh, we need you uh, here at some offices, uh, not far from here, please uh, come help us, I came for a few days, and uh, they told me, like, okay, come walk with us, I told them, no, I can't, I have my own project, <laughs> this is not something that can happen, and uh, they told me like, oh, no problem. Bring your uh, partner here. Uh, b- b- you can also walk here. Uh, walk here, all fine. And in the mi- meanwhile, we can talk about investment. And I was like, wow, it's like a, a dream come true. We we will, we will be able to have salaries. We we'll, we will have an investment. And the offices also told us in the days you're not working on uh, at the place. It was it called Paymax. Like you just can uh, sit here in the offices. It sounded like too good to be true, which uh, almost was. <laughs> <laughs> um but after a long long time like from the moment we talked about it like um it passed 9 months since we actually uh, signed the deal of investment which was which was a very very small investment i'm talking like uh 40,000 dollars um which is like nothing but for a new studio and then uh, indeed it was like amazing a little something yeah exactly something like <laughs> We needed that uh, Kickstarter, like that first investment to get, to get things moving. Like, if you get an investment, then other will invest, which what happened in doing after that. And we'll get to that. But like, it was a very very long uh, um, process. Like, we didn't come from the business side. We didn't know what the uh, term sheet are. Like, our investments are working. The investor like promised us a lot of things. He said, "Yeah, we will." Before we with the term sheet, he told us, "Yeah, A, B, C. That's it." We got 40 pages of investment, which was uh, like what we talked about, what we got. Uh, it was a lesson for life, by the way. <laughs> uh, it, it taught us a lot about investments and investors <laughs> in general. Um, by the way, they are not all the same, but they, they have a typecast. <laughs> I, I'm not sure if you're an investor or not. I saw something in the LinkedIn. I, I
1: dabble a bit in, in angel investing, but I, I wouldn't consider myself a professional investor more. I, yeah, I, enjoy, exactly. I enjoy helping founders, you know, build cool companies.
0: Exactly. And this is the difference. Like, you're an angel and a VC is something, like, more intrusive. <laughs> yeah. They want control. They want everything. Like, they wanted a lot of control. And we said, at the beginning, we said, okay, 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 okay. But then it came like, a phase, like, the term sheet was too uh, much aggressive. And we told them, okay, we either you put all these, uh, how do you say, little uh, notes, um, branches. I think either awesome you put, enough, yeah, yeah, lot of these branches down, or we don't. You don't have a deal. Suddenly, the term sheet was halved, and much, much was much, much better. And uh, we did sign it. It almost fell down, but we did sign <laughs> it. And uh, we we promised ourselves like years of offices and uh, initial investment which after we uh, released the game on the early access, the figures was great. Like we sold in the first month 10,000 copies and our investor investor was so happy like he, he immediately um, activated, committed his uh, options because in the term sheet, he also uh, saved himself the option to double the investment. Ah. Uh, again, for a very low price, but uh, for us, it was like, hey, somebody believed in us and it was great. Yeah. No, that's cool. This um, is like how we got into the road. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So
1: I think that's something that I see a lot of game studios, both brand new and even successful studios struggling mm-hmm. with. How do you come up with game ideas? So I'd love to just like hear a little bit about like Warriors and maybe we start with like for people that don't know what it is, can you tell us like mm-hmm. what warriors is about you know, genre gameplay?
0: Yeah, sure. Um, but before warriors, there was, there was another game. Which, oh yeah. Uh, tell us about that. Yeah. <laughs> there was another game. I hope, well, let's see if I can send you the, uh, the trailer for it. Unfortunately, you can't find it anymore on the play store, uh, because it's unsupported anymore, but here is the trailer, the game called airspace defender. Um, if you will watch it early, you see, like, it's very, uh, affected by old school games. I think it, was, it the game was called Paratrooper. Like, you have a cannon, which can move and shoot and, on the uh, moving planes, which coming from the both sides of the screen. This was, like, the first game we made. Uh, at the time, it, it, it was our baby. It seems amazing. Now I'm looking at it and, like, I'm, today I'm like, I'm doing it in one week, much better, much better. Like, I, I, I don't <laughs> know how, I how, how there I thought it's, it's good, but, it was my baby, so uh, in a way, it was good. Was this um, a Steam
1: game or a mobile game? Or... No, no,
0: it was a mobile game. Uh, we thought, like, if you uh, make a game for mobile, you become rich. You don't. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but for your question on regarding the, uh, how do you think of a game idea, this was like, I don't know how I got the idea, but a long time before we started to work together, like, I, I had this idea in my head, this is a game I want to make. I don't know why. It's just like a bug that just, just won't leave your mind. And um, I was like, I, I did the GDD, again, design document, like everything supposed to appear in the game. My partner, Shai Shemtov, did like all the art and the 3D models. Um, and this is like specifically for this game, I we got the idea. And for the other game we made after that, uh, it's called The Warrior Size to Glory. It's a turn-based gladiator fighting game with RPG elements. It's a, a little longer description. Uh, but basically, the game is very, very influenced by an old game called uh, Sword, Sword and Sandals, uh, which apparently a lot more people than I thought, they, um, a, a lot more people than I thought that we know it, know it. It's very, very popular, especially in Israel. Um, mm-hmm. And the game was a 2D game on uh, in Flash, on the uh, Krongate, I think. And, uh, you basically play a warrior, a gladiator that it is, and, uh, he starts as level one, you defeat gladiators, and all the battles are in turn-based, so it's, like, uh, more tactical, but it's very goofy. The, ga- the game itself, I really liked it, but it, it lacked it, uh, it had, uh, it had a lack of depth. Like, it could be a lot more, like, uh, mm-hmm. it was, like uh, I'm not sure what to say it, but you've got to, you got to taste for more after you play it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we were really influenced by the gameplay and wanted to make like a game that's inspired by this by this game by Solid Sandals. Like everyone who who sees our game automatically says to us, "Hey, it's like Solen Sandals." Now a lot of people told us over the time that our game mimics uh, Solen Sandals, which I think at the beginning was, I'm afraid it was true at the beginning. Like the the lines were too blurry, but. As the time progressed, we really took the game into another another direction, like to make it our own. Uh, especially when we um, added the multiplayer later on, which mm-hmm. something wasn't in the Sony Sandals, at least I know of. Um, it was really like another game on its own. Um, in such a way that if you will go to the main page in Steam, you will see we have a bundle with the uh, Sony Sandals. So we actually got the <laughs> approval and blessing of the original creator. So wow. yeah, we got a, we got from a place where we were like mimics to similar to, um, we live in the same genre, but we are not uh, like, um uh, stealing the idea because we actually have the approval.
1: Yeah. That's pretty cool. Um, yeah. So, okay. So you kind of expanded from there. Um, did you guys do any sort of, I don't know, like customer interviews or like talking to people that loved Sword and Sandals to understand like what they liked or what they were missing? Or was this all mostly just kind of based on your guys' experience and what you felt was missing?
0: Um, on retrospective, we should have do it. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> like I said, we didn't do it at a the business plan. We didn't exactly know what we were doing. We're just like passionate and doing, uh, doing what we love. Uh, So, no, we just started developing it on our feelings instead of making a survey and asking players. Only after, I think, almost one year of development, we came to uh, cons in Israel. Like, we came with a laptop, and uh, um, a laptop, some very, very cheap costume, like, uh, come play this game. And uh, only then we started getting some surveys, feedback, and then we understood that the game... Is nowhere really uh, near release. Um, so no, we did it after we started developing, which was a mistake. But uh, today we will do like a customer survey, like check out the the field, how uh, we said. And uh, even after two, three months of development, like release something to not, not, not to be afraid. In, in these times, like people are, not, uh, uh, people are very afraid to show what they have. And they're getting input very, very uh, late in, in the development uh, process. This is what happened to us. Like, we shouldn't be shouldn't be afraid. That, like, after two, three months, even if the game doesn't look so good, release it and get some feedback.
1: Yeah, no, that's that's great advice. I I completely agree with that. Um, did you ever use anything like a, a Playtest Cloud or any of those like testing services where you get to watch the videos of the people playing your game?
0: Um uh, no actually well are, we are very old school and uh, like I said, we actually came to cons and watched people playing yeah. uh when we gave out betas for the for home releases like they had a survey to fill out uh then mostly today we are talking with our uh, community at discord like most of the time they share the screen if they want to show me a bug um sometimes they just send us a video and mostly we are talking with the players themselves um, we're not doing like the Asynchronous synch- uh, testing, like they get something that we follow their, we watch their pattern and how they play it, and then send it back to us. Um, maybe it's working, but not, not, this is not the way we are working. <laughs>
1: yeah, no, that's cool. Um, I did see one thing that you guys, you know, kind of talked about your website of creating cross-platform games and stuff, like you're on steam right now with warriors is that something you're intending to take cross-platform are you, are you gonna go mobile you're gonna go you know xbox ps4 or five um, sorry
0: i'm old <laughs> <laughs> oh it's okay i, I still don't have the playstation 5 i still got the default one <laughs> i don't have time to play it um yeah, uh, this was uh, our initial plan, like to become a multi, a cross-platform uh, company, like the website from two, three years ago, and um, well, the plan was like to release it on Steam, fully release it, and then go to mobile. Um, di- I'm not sure this is the plan now. I'm saying not sure because it's still on the up op- on the table, but we're not running towards it. Like uh, this is not. I'm, I'm not sure this is the first thing we're going to do at the moment. Uh, but we, this was the plan. We, we, we do want to make games for mobile and uh, consoles. Like, if we will find a publisher, we can help us get the consoles. It will happen. But um, not at the moment. That's it. Not, we, we can't promise anything right now. Yeah. Because, because like, after <laughs> we... we um, Jumped to the water like we talked with a lot of experts in the mobile field. We, under- we understood we are not that we still don't know anything about the mobile, uh, and maybe sometimes staying in PC and consoles, which is also of course platforms, um, can be better. Like staying in the in the comfort zone or in your expertise zone.
1: Yeah. Um, well, here's a question: um, Are you guys doing any sort of live ops type stuff with uh warriors are you you know running weekly events or special offers like i know it's a a purchase game (laughs) do you have yeah yeah Yeah. um yeah well what does that look like in terms of like game support and operations and stuff or is it pretty much like the game is done and it just kind of lives
0: there um we, we mostly have like activities on the discord page. Like we have giveaways and we have some ways to um, participate with the community. Uh, in terms of live ops, we did have plans like double XP weekend and things like that, but um, not at the moment. No, we don't have that much of a live ops. Like you said, it's a purchase game. Um, the closest thing we, we have to that, it's the daily quest. You get every every day, a new quest, uh, two quests which can give you rewards and cosmetic rewards. And um, also you have like the leaderboards uh, rewards, like every day, uh, depending on your um, ranking in the leaderboards, you will get like another chest, And uh, chest will, which uh, is filled with rewards, like in-game money, cosmetic money, and things that will help you progress uh, even more. But uh, this is uh, as far as life, live ops we have currently in the game. Cool. Of course, if you will go to mobile, like this is like the things like like the, the things that are different on PC and mobile. Like this is this is exactly why why I'm thinking we are not that ready for mobile, and we, the game we will will need a lot of adaptation to go to mobile.
1: Yeah, no, I feel that. I mean, so here's a here's a question, I'm curious what your take on this. So, uh, you've got Warriors out. It's, uh, it seems like it's doing pretty well, right? Um, are you guys kind of trying to double down on this game, make it better, sell more, expand across platform? Or you know, are you to the point where you're starting to think about maybe another game altogether? Or how do you balance that?
0: Yeah, uh, exactly. Like, like I said before, like, we're not sure. Which is the next platform we are going to attack? Like back then, we were sure, like, oh, yeah, releasing it and then to go to mobile. But mobile is very, very um, risky in terms of investment against uh, what you can get, receive. Uh, so we we actually like, like I said, if a publisher will come, we will definitely go to uh, consoles. But currently, we just signed the we signed a new uh, cooperation. Unfortunately, I can't uh, publicly announce it yet. Uh, I think by the time it will be like uh, it will be the podcast, the episode will be aired. I'm sure it will be, but I can't take any chances by by (laughs) uh, by contract. I can't say it at the moment. But it's still on this game, like it's an expansion to this game with uh, um, some kind of technological technological service. That's it. Um, But uh, yeah, uh, definitely after that, a new game is on the horizon. Um, It's it's, like all the options are on the table, and none of them like having a clear direction. But uh, a new game is definitely on the on the table. Very cool. Very cool. So, if
1: there's a new game on the table, <laughs> what's, uh, <laughs> what's your process for evaluating what that new game is? Or, I guess, what have you learned and, and what are you planning to do differently on kind of your next game from what you did on, say, Warriors?
0: Uh, yeah, first of all, much, much better planning. Like, I understood the audience a lot more. Like, we didn't really know what, how big is the audience. Are uh, they satisfied? Did they need another way, Gladiator's game? Uh, we just like went with the passion. So first of all, um, check out the target audience, uh, check out our competitors and um, to see if we can do even, if, if maybe someone is doing it much better than us. And um, having, uh, like evaluating the time a lot better now that I understand the, better the process of making a game from A to Z. Um, so this is another thing, like understand cost, understand the options, where we can find investors. Where we can find publishers? Is it uh, is there even publisher for the type of game we want to make? Let's say we want to make an RTS with teddy bears fighting unicorns. We want to check if, if there are publishers who can take some, such a thing. Um, this is why uh, for Warriors, uh, that's it. Uh, we don't have a publisher. No, no publisher wanted to deal with this genre of games because it's a niche in, in the end. So like we will choose a game which is not that uh, popular, a uh, game genre which is not, not that popular, but not uh, a niche, not in, totally indie, if you understand.
1: Yeah. That's interesting. So let's say, you know, me and you were to start a sort of studio today and we want to emulate this sort of kind of niche approach, which I think is actually a, a cool approach. Like if I was to do that, I would prefer to have maybe like five or 10 of these kind of niche games <laughs> that's generating like a stable boost line of revenue. How do you find a niche? And how do you figure out that it's going to be viable before you spend a lot of time and energy on it?
0: Uh, usually it's, com- it's coming from home. Like uh, it's, it's a game you love. It's something you're playing on yourself. Like I have, I have a philosophy. Don't make a game which you won't be, won't be playing by your, by your home. Like, uh, don't make a slot machine if you're not a slot machine player. <laughs> I'm going for the, the edge case. Um, but uh, usually one of, one of the founders or someone from the team will come from the, uh, will arrive with a niche which is, which is familiar to him, which is, which he plays by himself.
1: Yeah. So basically play a lot of games and maybe a lot of different games, maybe even outside of your typical AAA, you know, big game kind of style, like try to get into more like different indies and, you know, off the path uh, type uh, games yeah, if you're looking yeah. for a niche.
0: But it, it needs to come from you. It needs to be real. Don't play games for the sake of marketing research. Yeah. Um, Go play the games you love and make make from them a game you want to make. Uh, you can be you can be influenced by AAA. it's okay, but take it into consideration you will make like five percent of this game, not uh, sixty or seventy. like a lot of people I, which I know uh, just starting to the, to learn uh, game development are coming to me like, hey, I want to make an MMORPG. Uh, and I'm like, don't.
1: <laughs> yeah I uh, I really love Skyrim. And uh, I'm, I've done some pretty decent like Unity, like machine generated uh, graphics and stuff that actually get like get pretty on par to a Skyrim like world, but uh, it's a a far cry from actually creating a, a real Skyrim with you know all the voice acting and the stories and all that yeah. kind of stuff. There's <laughs> just so much that goes into it. Exactly. So, is there a certain factor of, you know? additional time that you need to have in based on changes based on community feedback and like how to orient it and plan a game like, Hey, this is the game that I want to build and it's warriors. Like how long realistically should I be planning to spend building a game like that?
0: Um, hmm. uh, Okay. At the time we thought like we'll make the whole game in about two years. Uh. In the end, it took us five years, <laughs> a lot of uh, le- learning curve, um, but we, it was important to us like, to finish the game. Like, we said, no, 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 no matter what, this game see the, the light of uh, day, and it will get all the things that we, that we promised for our game, gamers. Uh, unfortunately, the, the girls didn't make the cut. They were supposed to be like female warriors, but uh, they didn't make it to the, into the cut, maybe in the future. But uh, coming back to, coming back to your question, like um, to, if uh, I would I would need to like make a timetable for a uh, development of in such a scale today, I will have like a lot of uh, blanks in it, like iterations, like like I said, two three six months to get a POC, send it, then put blank in the timetable for unknown changes you will get from the community. And then again, iteration changes. Iteration changes, and everything like you have in mind that will take, like, let's say, two weeks, make it four, <laughs> because uh, things tend tends to get a lot more, uh, a lot longer than you think. People think they have a lot of time in their in their life, but they don't, because life happens. Things happen. Like people always tell me, "Yeah, I will make a game on my spare time while working uh, in a full time job." I tell them you can't uh, because in their head, they will have every evening to develop the game, but I'm sorry. You will have sick days. You will have weddings. You will have life. You will you want to rest. You want every every evening, like you say. And um, besides this, like off topic to your question, like I really believe like in dedication, like if you're doing something, do it like, properly, do it with a lot of focus and devotion. Uh, don't do it on the side in your spare time because from my experience, you can sit on a bag on uh, one bug like all day, mm. so <laughs> you can't really advance anywhere. So, take a lot of time. Kilo, kilo I took a word in Hebrew like, every, everything you think that will take you two weeks, double it. At the worst yeah. case, it will take less. You will have a lot of uh, bonus, like uh, bonus tasks to add into the game. Yeah, do
1: you think? Like, if you could redo Warriors today, um, would you release it into, like, an early access, pay for access, let's say, like, six months in, even if it's just, like, a slice of the game and, like, just a
0: beginning? Hmm. Um, it's, 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 a, it's a huge debate, like, when it's enough to get into early access. Um, I think we could... Have, no, uh, we went to Early Access, I think, uh, on the right uh, time um, because there wasn't that much of a meet. Like, today you get four times what we what we had in the first time we had Early Access. Um, but today I think it will take us like six months, even less, to get to the point we were after two years at the time. So I would say like, don't wait too much. Like, if your game is on early access and it's almost complete, it's really really done and doesn't have a lot of play of um, places to change, so you don't have anything to do on early access. But if your early access is too early, you don't have anything to work with. It's like uh, it's a really hard question. It's like what what, is, what a comedy is? What what is a funny thing? You can explain. You can't explain when a stand-up is ready to be performed, when a, 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 a joke is ready to be heard. Like you need to feel it, you need to test it, and yeah. I think it's it's things you get by experience. Like and I I will say something like this: make mistakes, like release your game too early, release your game too late, but release it. <laughs> like a, like a Sh- Shia LaBeouf. Buff, just do it.
1: Wise words, wise words. I love it. <laughs> Um okay. So you talked about games in Israel when you were getting started and how they were maybe too data driven and too casual and whatnot. Do you or have you used any sort of like data driven approach like do you guys have analytic systems within warriors to see like hey these characters are too powerful or XYZ is
0: happening and we need to like change that or balance that or whatnot. Uh, Definitely. Yeah. We have analytics, Um, especially if to make the game better, like understand where people are like, if something is, uh, is too over overpowered, something is underpowered, Um, especially things like that. Yeah. Um, We don't uh, follow the user. Of course we we are, um, going after the GDPR policies and there is no intrusion to the privacy, I must uh, uh, say that. Um, but what I meant by totally driven companies, like in Israel, most companies um, don't don't. I don't want to say they don't care, but they don't put a lot of focus on the game itself. The game is there to present something and to get input. Like most of the most of their work is done on the behind the scenes on the backend. Like when to show a message, when to uh, give you some more rewards. It's like they're looking at the stati- statistics rather than to see if people enjoy the game. Um, and in our case, it's the, it's backwards. Like the analytics is there to make the game become better. Mm-hmm. Like if someone, uh, let's say, does, if a lot of people are dropping at level three fights, it means something in the difficulty curve is not right. So we need to adjust it. And uh, we, did, we did we did a lot of it, especially in in the single player. But uh, I think in the multiplayer we had a lot of, a lot more of community to work with. So we had like real people to talk with, rather than uh, working with numbers. Yeah. Do you ever find that what people
1: are saying doesn't correlate with the numbers? Like, as an example, <clears throat> and I, I heard this from somebody at Supercell before, where the Clash Royale audience, everyone hated the Royal Giant, and even after they like changed the giant to nerf them or change them a little bit, people still hated them and thought they were way too powerful and whatnot. Um, but Supercell, when they looked at the the win rates and the actual data and stuff, like Royal Giant really was one of the, like the least powerful cards that was out there. Um, so, how do you you know have you ever had a scenario? come up like that? And, and how do you
0: handle that? Uh, okay, yeah, definitely with <laughs> scenarios like that. I can give an example like uh, when we first added the cosmetics In cosmetics is purchasable in the game. Like a lot of people say it, you don't get enough um, coins, cosmetic coins to buy uh, things. Um, but of course everybody would say that. Like everyone want to get a lot more <laughs> cosmetic coins and preferably they don't want to pay anything for the for the cosmetics. So yep. like, this is the, a place that there was no correlation. Like people earned and walked out to really receive the cosmetic coins, but of course they wanted to work less out. So sometimes you need to understand when to receive the feedback and to dismiss it. Mm-hmm. Um, like exactly. But if, if everyone is saying like it's too hard to receive cosmetic coins and we would have seen that nobody is purchasing any cosmetics, then it's something to, uh, to, to consider.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. So here's more of an implementation type question. Um, Do you have any tips or tricks or like, what is the right way to add analytics into your game so that it's actually useful? So maybe an example of how I've seen this done that becomes less useful versus more useful. Um, Let's pretend I'm adding analytics into Candy Crush. And, I could on the one hand make a event that is triggered for every single level that you complete, like level one completed, level two completed up to level 4,000 or wherever they're at now. Um, Or, you know, I could make a event that is like a level complete event and you could add data onto that where the level was one, two, three, or a booster was used true or something. I feel like analyzing the data of, which levels are completed and whatnot is going to be far easier if you can group them just based on the single level complete event versus, you know, an, an event per every single level that's out there. Um, I'm curious, like, do you have any experience or thoughts on the right way to put tracking here and here? Are there some things that maybe is too much work to track?
0: Um, Unfortunately, there is no one answer to this thing. Like uh, every game has its own uh, methods and uh, uh, analytics approach. Uh, I do think like there is not, no such thing as, okay, there is such thing as too much information, but there is a lot of information which is very useful. Um, I think the main power of a- analytics is coming like when you intersect, like the more, uh, let's say candy price, the more you have like, um, okay, how much time, how much time did I take to, um, finish level 28, let's say, and compare it with my total playtime. So as long as I I have the number of tries and the number of time I set on one level and I have the total playtime and I have uh, another metric, as long as I have all the metrics and I can intersect them and play with them uh, as as I want, this is crucial. This is like the the goal of analytics, like the intersection, uh, if you understood what I meant. But, unfortunately, there is no, like I said, there is no right way. I, I can just, like, oh, yeah, for Candy Crush, we'll deal with this and this and this. We, we need to see the game. We need to to understand how it's built. But always think ahead, and before you do, you're doing the game, like, where to I- implement an- analytics. Like, this is another thing I take from the development of Warriors, uh to think about it pre-ahead pre- pre- of development. Yeah. So here's maybe something
1: that I think about or in my general experience, it is easier or at least better to start with a question rather than start with the data. Like whenever I'm like, oh, I'm just going to like look at some data and find some insights and stuff. I usually don't end up finding insights. Rather, if I come in and I come up with a hypothesis, like, um, Uh, I don't know, let's say, I I think that Garen is too powerful of a champion in League of Legends. Um, You know, does his spin do too much damage or something like that? I I start with a question, then I can go to the particular data and try to use that to answer the question. I find that that works better for me. Um, But, you know, do you need to, I guess, Beforehand, like I might have that question, but if I haven't been recording the spin damage or, or whatever is actually happening in the game, I might not actually have that data there. So, is there a balancing act where you need to, before you start implementing the the analytics, where you need to go through it and try to think about what are the types of questions that I might want to ask as my game's going on?
0: It's like a little bit of both, like. Um... Let me get the, my answer in my head. Um, let's say, like, like you said, you have a weapon, you have a damage system, and everything like this. It's something very trivial, like to add the the these numbers. Like, okay, can we go back? I'm not sure I understand the question.
1: So, okay, maybe here's here's a better question. Okay, as you've been, you know working on Warriors or, um, or or any other games, I guess, you know, have you ever wanted to answer something but not been able to because that data wasn't being collected at that point in time?
0: Oh, okay, okay, okay. Um, yeah, yeah, it happened to us a lot. Um, like, sometimes we wanted to understand, like, uh, yeah, if, if the weapon is too overpowered, hey, we don't know if it's too overpowered. We don't have this analytics, like... Um, if a battle uh, happened with a specific uh, sword, did you win, did you lose? Like, how it uh, affected the, the outcome. Um, so, you need to be agile. Like, you need, hey, we're not doing uh, this analytics. Okay, let's do it for the next patch. Um, maybe it's the end the way, but uh, we, we, were, uh, we were and we are still are very agile. That's very cool. Okay, so it's almost like
1: a continual improvement process where you try to get it close yeah. enough, but yeah. don't spend too much time.
0: Uh, yeah, I, I can't, like, uh, guess all the information I will need. Some of it I will see on, on uh, while trying. But, of course, again, if we will go to do another game, I'm sure that I will make all the, all the trivial uh, implementation of the uh, analytics, like damage, like win-loss, like whoever lost. What happened to him? Where we won. Like, what happened to him? And to understand if there is a definitely a better way to win in, a, in the game. Yeah,
1: it's very interesting. Um, have you guys added any new content to Warriors? Um, I'm curious how you think about, you know, that process. Like, you know, obviously at some point in time, even the, the most interesting game is going to become fairly predictable and, and probably a little bit boring unless you're adding new stuff like you talked about adding maybe female warriors like you mm-hmm. know let's say you decide to add an amazon dlc package or something like that like what's your approach to thinking about keeping your game fresh and adding new content and stuff so your players don't get bored
0: um well for it, it, okay the, it's the game was in the, in production let's say It was in development in early access, that is. It it was in early access for the last three years, I think, even four. Um, So we actually, like, I'm not sure if to call it, like, extra content or content that was supposed to be there because it's a game in beta. And we were, like, every month or two months, we were adding a lot of content because the game was still in development. Um, So players already had something to look for. They they always um, asked for the next, next thing. Um, and the, this is like the bonuses of bang on early access. Like, players are asking for something and sometimes we obliged. Like, there were things we didn't plan to add to the game. Um, and people asked, like, uh, bosses in the multiplayer. At the beginning, they wasn't supposed to be there and they asked and we added. Um, audit, audit mode, let's say. That's it in the single player. Um, so the game always released, uh, always got to release uh, content and in last February, the game uh, was released in 1.0, but uh, we still added like more content. Um, the major content page, last major one, was released on uh, 27th of April. You can see it in the store page, and it, and it added the last boss, which uh, wasn't in the full release because uh, it, it it was ready, but it wasn't like uh, in our standards, good enough to be released. So released it later on. With a lot of things like we added controller support and more servers and better leaderboard prices, so we like even after the game was done, we had a little more things that they asked for. And like I said before, we are going to release something very big for the game, which is a, a technolo- technological change. And, uh, I, I hope, uh, but uh, I hope that at the time I will be I will be able to share what it is, but uh, currently I can't. But you got the first sneak peek. Mysteries, I love mysteries. Yeah, you see, this is also a way to to keep players like uh, <laughs> uh, waiting for the next thing. They don't know what it is, but it's something good.
1: I love it. I love it. Um, cool stuff. Uh, okay, here's a bit of more of a, a co-founder type question. So, I think a lot of people that work in games today are all. You know, everyone kind of secretly has this idea of starting their studio and having full creative freedom to, you know, create whatever games they want. Um, do you have any, like, thoughts or lessons um, that you've learned about how to pick a co-founder?
0: Uh, okay. Yeah, definitely. For me, it was easy. <laughs> it was my cousin. I knew him my, my whole life. Like, uh, it, it he, he wasn't a stranger. So a lot of people like are envy me like oh you got a co-founder so easy like yeah I got lucky, Uh, but yeah first of all it needs it needs to be somebody you know not like your best friend, uh, but also not a total stranger like hey let's make a startup tomorrow. Um, You need need someone like I said you know at least in the expertise way like you know it's is a cool is a colleague. Which uh, you heard about, he's done some great things, like things like that. Um, people with reputation. I don't say like people are better than game, but at least people who are known, people who are known for their attitude. It's more important than their expertise and their knowledge. Like if they're if uh, if they're dependable. What did they, did you hear about them? Um, and uh, check if they are uh, trustworthy because. Uh, I know a lot of startups and games which uh, stop development because of because of the co-founders. Uh, they didn't like um, they didn't manage with each other. Not sure to say it. Like uh, they split it up, and it's very very sad to hear to hear and see. Like especially with games that look very promising. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I like if I can give a tip, it's like mingle more, make yourself a name. Um, be active socially, especially with the indie developers and the local industry or the global industry.
1: Do you think there's any sort of conversations that would be important to have, you know, before you start? Like, you know, I, I feel like I could see a case where you might have started with some other guy or gal and got two years into the game where you thought you were going to release it and then oh, I didn't sign on for three more years of this or, you know, where they might get away or are there other, you know, issues that might come down the line where there could be issues like uh, potential exit? Like, where are we trying to go with this? Almost like, you know, you're getting married and having that religious or yeah. uh, uh, political type conversations that nobody really wants to have, but you kind of need to hash that out before you, you know, tie the knot.
0: People need to know that uh, working with someone, like co-founding something, it's some kind of a marriage. Like it's a, it's a relationship. It's need to be like, um, maintained. It needs to be taken care of. It takes time, it takes focus. There are fights. It's uh, unavoidable. Um, then, uh, so I lost my, uh, my th- thing, uh, thinking. Yeah. I
1: guess, you know, are there any, Particular questions that you think would be pertinent that people should, you know, talk through before oh, okay. they officially tie the knot.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Like, uh, first of all, understand the prior experience. Um, if they work with someone else, ask them, "How was the experience?" Um, and most importantly, do something small at the beginning, like like I did with Shy. We did a very small game for the mobile to understand to understand how we are working together. Before that, don't dive into a very big project. Don't do the next MMORPG. Um, Think like that. But um, like you're seeking, sitting on a date with somebody before you're marrying her, you, sit, sit on a date on a, on a coffee with a, with a potential uh, co-founder. Uh, and, I, and, and I will also add this: like, like you said, after two years, you're like, okay, this is too much. I can't handle this anymore. I want to go to go out. You need to have like exit points. You need to have uh, first of all and. Uh, it's called the founders' agreement. Like what happens when someone leaving? And um, always walk with terms, always walk with agreements and contracts. It will um, save you a lot, a lot of trouble and headaches in the future. Make everything like uh, very neat, very ordered. Always have a place to live. Of course, living it's not uh, um, optimal. It's not good, especially when let's say the lead developer leaves. Um, but you need to ask yourself, why is the uh, lead developer really big, <laughs> let's say. Um, and this is also the risks of co-founding. Like, yeah. it, it can fall from so many reasons. No money, no investors, bad investors, um, co-founders not uh, managing what, one way another, uh, missing the timelines, working too slow, working too hard. It's like, it needs to be perfect. <laughs> Uh, there, 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 there's too much param- parameters for so a startup to to, to, <laughs> to work. But when it is working, it's like a miracle. I love it. Well,
1: cool. I do have one more question because we are on the Master in Retention podcast, of course. Yeah. Um, and that is, you know, what's one tip or trick or lesson you've learned over the years to increase player retention? How do you keep your players playing your game for longer?
0: Uh, yeah, like I said, we have the daily quest. It's something like keeping players to look forward for the next play session. Like every quest is different from the from the one they got before that. Um, you want to get higher in the ranks in the leaderboard because every day at eight o'clock in the in Israel time, you get a chest, something to look forward to. Another thing, um, always promise something, uh, another content. Which, which is uh, coming. Like, we released the, the, the fourth boss, which was after the release. We announced it before that. Like, hey, there's something to look forward to. Um, and I will say that don't be too harsh, don't be too aggressive with, the, with how you're trying to maintain players. Players don't like it, especially on PC if you like doing some shady tactics. Like, um, if you, you will give, you will, you will let someone become stronger. If you log in every day and you will match him against someone who didn't log in every day, it, it won't be fair. Like players will understand that, players will see that. Players are not dumb. Be be respectful and honor your uh, players. And don't be too too much pushy. Like come to them, like I said, with the rewards and reason to come, not don't push them to come. Like I know a lot of games, it's happening, especially on mobile. You get so much notifications and while you're playing, there is like so much pop-ups, like let let, let people play. Yeah, that's great. Well, cool. I I think
1: we're about out of time here though, but uh, thank you so much for joining me today. I had a, a lot of fun.
0: Um, and hopefully we can maybe have you come back sometime. Um, yeah, first of all, I really enjoyed uh, the time. Just flew flew by. I <laughs> can't believe it was an hour. Yeah. Uh, it, it was really nice to be on this podcast. Uh, it was great having uh, you having me. Um, I j- I just want to add one last thing, which is kind of a motto, let's say it, the philosophy. Yeah. Um, think if you are making games to make money, or you are making money to make games. It's like a food for thought. Yeah. I love that. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Tom.